Okay, here we go. My friends, we're going to talk a little bit about Yom Kippur, which is coming up tomorrow night. And when we think about Yom Kippur, for those of you who have done it, do positive feelings of joy and happiness come to mind? Or do thoughts of fasting, being hungry, being bored, beating yourself up, maybe a little depressed? So when it's quite ironic that these days of high holidays, days of awe, for many people are actually awful days. And uh, I myself included for many years was allergic to Yom Kippur. And it took me until I started learning the teachings of Hasidus and Kabbalah that I started to have, be, develop an incredible appreciation to the point that it's one of the most incredible days. Now, I can't tell you I look forward to it because it's a hard day. It's a lot of work, but the spiritual benefits are incredible. So I want to talk a little bit about that and share some of those insights with you tonight. So first off, right, when you think about um, Yom Kippur, what's the main theme? What do you guys say? Atonement. Okay. What does that mean? Okay, you're saying sorry for things you did wrong. Great. What else? Any, any other words come to mind or themes? Tshuva, which is like, what does tshuva mean? Repentance, another Catholic word. So there's repentance, there's atonement. Anyone else? Oh, charity. Good, good. That's a, that's a Jewish word. Return. Return. What do you mean by return? Wow. That's spiritual. Okay. Hold that thought. Salvation. Wow. That is really... That's not... Ca oh, starvation. Sorry. Sorry. Starvation. Yes. Starvation. And is there an emotion connected to the day? And if so, what emotion? Morning. Regret. Anything else? Guilt? Forgiveness? Not Okay, if that's an emotion, could be, yeah. Okay, great. So the, the, the thing that's so disturbing about the day for so many people is that most Jews don't go to synagogue most of the year. And they are called high holiday Jews, that they go only for the high holidays. So they spend the whole day kind of not living like the best Jews. And then they go one day a year to beat themselves up for what they did the previous 364 days. So it's, an, it's no wonder why people don't go to synagogue more often. They think it's a very depressing place to be. So the reality is quite the opposite. You know, we get there though, but you think about it, right? It's a day of beating yourself up. I did this wrong, I did that wrong, wallowing in, in guilt. And on top of that, you're hungry. You haven't eaten all day. And you ask the rabbi, why are we fasting? He says, so you don't think about food. And you're like, don't think about food. That's all I can think about. And then they hand you a book. And the book is like this fat, right? And you're like, start flipping through the pages and it's written in Chinese. And then you find out that you not only have to like read that Chinese, but you have to finish the whole book today. You're not going home until you finish reading this whole thousand page book. And there's no pictures. And you're like going to the bathroom as much as you possibly can, just so you can have a break. 
and that becomes a big adventure, right? So, and on top of it, then then you start talking about, besides talking about how bad you are, you start listing off a whole menu how you're going to die this year. By fire, by water, strangulation, wild animals, plague, war, like, gosh, what a depressing day. The irony is, and again, ironic that that's the day that most Jews go to synagogue, but the irony is, or the paradox, or the problem, is that if you open up the Talmud, the Talmud says that Yom Kippur was the most beautiful day of the year. Most beautiful day of the year. And when you start learning a little bit of the more spiritual writings of Kabbalah, it comes out that Yom Kippur is a day of pure love between the Jewish people and God. So if that's the case, why does it come out so negative? To so many people. So if I were to ask you, what is a sin that you would be doing repentance for on Yom Kippur? What are some sins? What are some of the big ones that you think people might be doing tshuva for? Close that door. Give it right now. Yeah. Try me. Adultery, great. That's a big one. That's one of the big three. What else might one be repenting for? What are some of the biggest sins that... Okay, being mean to people. What else? Lying, stealing. What else? Go, come on. Get, go worse. What? Murder, of course. Murder. And once we're listing the top three, so there's also idol worship, right? So let me ask you guys, anyone here in this room guilty of murder, adultery, idol worship? I hope not. I really hope not. If there are anyone that has those issues, please reach out to me privately. But um, so therefore, what do we need Yom Kippur for? Let's all go home. We don't need it. None of us are guilty of any of those things. So the reality is that it's much deeper. And we have a very childish view of what Yom Kippur is all about. So I want to try to dissect it in, in the time that we have and go deep. So, so let's start by talking about the idea of guilt. Right? Is guilt a Jewish thing? Do we have a concept of guilt? Others, Jewish guilt. So that's called Jewish guilt. I Googled it. I said Jewish guilt versus, and it popped up, Jewish guilt versus Catholic guilt. And it said that Catholic guilt is about all the things you did wrong. And Jewish guilt is about all the things you didn't do right. So they said Catholics are afraid of an angry God, and Jews are afraid of an angry mother. Which is worse. <laughs> so certainly, as a Jew, you can never do it right. You know, if you if you come home and you're not hungry, your mother starts freaking out. What? You don't love me? You're not going to eat? And then you eat and you finish everything on your plate. What? What are you? A, a chazer? What? You ate too much. Like, how can you eat the whole thing? But what about me? You didn't leave any over for me. So it's literally like you cannot win. But the reality is, is that guilt is not a Jewish concept. Because the idea of guilt is excessive 
excessive wallowing in negativity in the things you did wrong. Judaism does not believe in excessively wallowing in your flaws. We believe in remorse, feeling bad about the things we did wrong, only enough to inspire you to change. You have to feel the pain over the things you've broken and the, the mistakes you've made, but only as an impetus to change, to transform, to make amends, to rectify whatever you did wrong. But once you've done that, it is over. We don't believe that the negative things you've done in the past remain. We believe that when you do tshuva, you clean up the past to the point that the things you've done wrong actually become mitzvahs. They get not only cleaned up, but they become good because they were they were the inspiration, the impetus for you to become a more sensitive, introspective, and sell and refined person. So everything is a stepping stone to growth. Everything is a learning opportunity. We don't believe in guilt. But why is it that we have a tendency as human beings to feel guilty and not only guilty, but how do we respond when we make a mistake and someone calls us out for having messed up? How do we usually respond? We feel bad. And, and how do we, and then what do we do? Yeah. We harp on it. And, 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 and how do, and what? Like, do we say, thank you so much for pointing out my flaws? Okay, so some people respond and that would be called the guilt route, right? By getting depressed, by ex by obsessing over the things they did wrong. What's another way you might respond if your friend pointed out one of your flaws? You might deny it, get defensive. You might you might get defensive and say, "Oh yeah, well you did blah 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 to me last week." So we can respond in one of two ways when we mess up. We can take it too personally and beat ourselves up, or we can lash out and beat someone else up, right? Like deflection versus um, over-identification. And we can respond with anger. So why does that happen? Why do, we, why do we get depressed or angry when we make a mistake? What does it mean about you when you make a mistake that gets you to respond so strongly? All right, you ever notice when you're driving around and you're listening to the GPS and you make a wrong turn? What does the GPS do? Recalculates, all right? The GPS doesn't start cursing you out. It doesn't start yelling at you, right? It recalculates. So it's very hard to get upset at a GPS or to beat yourself up at a GPS. But why do we beat ourselves up when someone else points out our flaws? Why don't we just recalculate and say, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm, I made a mistake. Got it. The answer is very simple. We over-identify with our actions. We think that when I do bad, you know what that means? 
What does that mean about me? I am bad. We think that our flaws define us. If I fail, that means I am a failure. If I lose, that means I am a loser. If I do something bad, that means I'm bad. And that is the source of our problems. There's a, there's a major point that uh, we have to make a distinction amongst two points. These are, this is life-changing. The difference between accepting someone and approving of someone. What's the difference between accepting someone versus approving of someone? Acceptance versus approval. What does it mean if I accept you? Bingo. Amazing, Julia. I couldn't have said it better. Approval means I ex you meet my standards. I approve of the good things that you do. I, in my book, you have met my criteria for success. But approval means I accept the totality of you, even the things that I don't agree with. Right? Do you have to approve of my choices as a friend or as a family member? Do family members have to approve of each other's choices? lifestyles decisions certainly not we, we're not always going to approve of each other should in an ideal world should family members accept each other certainly that's the difference between conditional love versus unconditional love unconditional love is i only love you if you do the things i want you to do unconditional love is i love you and i will always love you regardless of what you do because I respect you as a human being, and I respect your choice to make decisions that I might not agree with. Right? What a parent really wants from their kids is that their children should be independent thinkers. Unfortunately, a lot of people have this confused. And we think that if you don't do what I want, then you're out. And that's a big problem. Nowadays, in many circles in America, people have a very hard time having discussions about ideas. Because they think if you disagree with my values, then you're attacking me personally, and therefore I can't have a conversation with you about things that I disagree with. As opposed to in a world where people recognize that I can love and accept you even if I disagree with you completely, there it's, we're free to have conversations about ideas and values, and no one feels personally attacked because we're just intellectually discussing ideas. So how this comes out in practice is that when your parents someday soon all of you say amen you will have children that make mistakes and when your children make a mistake you don't respond by saying bad boy bad girl you, re you respond by saying that was bad what you did was bad that was a bad action because then you're differentiating between the actions and the person because according to Judaism, you are not your actions. Your actions are extremely important. Important. You have to take responsibility for your actions. You have to fix your actions. You have to repair the things that you've damaged and broken. But you are not your actions. You can change your actions. You can change your behavior. That's an expression of who you are, but it's not who you are. So... 
Guilt means over-identification with your actions. And therefore, I feel bad when I do bad. Judaism says, do not define yourself by what you do. Do not define yourself by the mistakes you made. Do not define yourself by your successes. Define yourself by your intrinsic identity. And that's what I want to talk to you about right now. So who are you really? When we talk about repentance on Yom Kippur, we are not talking about returning to God. I mean, of course we are. But what does tshuva really mean? What does the word tshuva mean? We, tra we translate it as repentance. Julie, do you know what tshuva really means? Tatiana? The word tshuva, it means to return. It means to return. To return to what? Okay. So traditionally understood as to return to God, to return back to the source. But if we can go a little bit deeper, what that really means is to return to who you really are. To return. Ah, oh, very good. Return to who you are. Return to yourself. That's what Shuva is. It's a return to your true self. And of course, inside your true self is a piece of God. Because who are you really? Who are you? Okay. Who is you? Who is you? Judaism says a human being is made up of two parts. Body and soul. Body comes from where? The body comes from dirt. The body comes from dirt, the physical. And the soul is the breath of God, is a spark, literally a piece of God. The goal is a piece of God. It's your essence. It's your true identity. Does Judaism believe that you have a soul? Judaism believes you are a soul and you have a body. Your soul is your essence. It's your identity. It's you. It's the real you. Your body is the clothing. Your body is the clothing that your soul wears. Your body is the car that your soul drives. Your body helps you get around in a physical dimension, but it's not your identity. Can you imagine someone who over-identifies with their car? They wash it every single day. They make sure to get the fanciest, nicest car. Can you imagine someone who gets a dent in their car and they jump off a bridge? Right? Over-identification with the body is like identifying with your clothes or your car as who you really are. But we do it all the time. We, we do it very often. It is a form of idolatry because we're looking at the external world as real, as opposed to at the internal world, which is the world of spirituality, the world of unity, the world of oneness. So which is which is real your body or your soul someone asked me a great question after i taught this class a few weeks ago so i said your real soul is the real identity is your soul your body is just what your soul wears and someone says so why do we say in prayers a lot a lot of prayers 
when we wake up in the morning, we say, Thank you, God. Who returned to me, my soul. That's a contradiction. We say also in the morning prayers, God, the soul you gave me is pure. What? Who's the me? So the answer, I believe, is that the me is the combination of body and soul. The me is really, who are you? Wherever you place your, your consciousness. You can live life as a body. You can live life as a soul. The reality is, definition. what's the definition of life according to Kabbalah? What's the mathematical equation for life? <laughs> That's the numerical value. Body and soul. The life equals body and soul together. The body-soul combo. It's not just your car because you can't live without it. Literally. What happens when a person dies? Definition of death. Body and soul separate. Soul leaves the body. Body and soul disconnect. So life is both body and soul. And there are many times in our life where we over-identify with the body because we're, we're, we're living in the body. We're born with the body. When you point to yourself, most people point to their body because that's the part that we most identify with. So both are true. The reality is you are both body and soul in this lifetime. You are body and soul. Your soul is your true identity, but in this world, it's body and soul together. So they say the soul that you placed in me because our first identification in this world is with our body. And our body is the greatest tool that we have because without it, we wouldn't be alive. And without life, we wouldn't have the ability to connect spirituality with physicality, to literally create life, to create souls, to bring spirituality into physical. That's all of Judaism. It's how you eat. It's how you conduct your business. It's raising children, right? Which is why the most spiritual thing that a, that a person can do in this world. What's the most spiritual act according to Judaism? What? More, more than praying. What's the most godlike thing you can ever do? Bring your life into the world. Bringing bodies and souls together. Spirituality, physicality. So in Judaism, there's always food. Because food is also spiritual. You're taking the inanimate and you're making it part of you. You're lifting it up. So which is stronger, body or soul? The reality is, is that the body, the soul, of course, is stronger. The soul is much more power. But the body is much stronger most of the time in our life. Because the body comes naturally. Bodily desires, you're born with them. It's the first thing you know is you're hungry, you're tired, you're lonely. Right, that that those are the most natural instincts to a human being because we're born where our body is primary because we live in body world, we live in the world of bodies. It depends on how much you condition yourself to connect to the soul. The more spiritually become you, the more powerful. Of course, the soul has much more power than the body because the soul is connected to infinite. The body is finite. The body is very limited. But the more you condition yourself to connect to the soul, the more powerful that relationship begin becomes. So most of our life, we're focusing on the body. So what is Yom Kippur all about? Yom Kippur is called a day of the soul. Yom Kippur is a day 
when we disconnect from physicality, we don't eat on Yom Kippur. We don't engage in physical pleasures on Yom Kippur. We take off our shoes on Yom Kippur. The shoes represent the body. Because shoes are to body what soul is to body. Right? Shoes are to feet what soul is to body. Because just like your shoes enable your feet to transverse and travel around the world, your body enables your soul to walk around the world and do things in the physical world. So when we take off our shoes, what we're symbolizing is stepping out of the body. So Yom Kippur is a day when we disconnect from the fact that most of our life is focused on being a body. Yom Kippur is a day to recognize that really you are a soul. Your soul is your true identity. Your soul is who you really are. Step out of the body, disconnect to recognize that our reality is that we are a beautiful, perfect, pure soul, which is a piece of the infinite. That's what Yom Kippur is all about. It's a day of truly connecting to the fact that God is within us. We are intimately connected. We are beautiful and perfect on the soul level. Now, if you get that, if you really and truly get that you are a soul, then apologizing and owning the things you did wrong is as easy as taking off your dirty clothes because it's not who you are. When you overly identify with the body, then the things your body does define you. When your body has needs, your body is imperfect, your body has flaws, your body is insecure, you over-identify with the body. So the things you mess up, when you make mistakes, you become a mistake. You are a loser. You are a failure because you're identifying with the things you do as your essence. But when you recognize that you are a soul, your soul is pure, your soul can never become tainted. Your soul can never become impure on the, on the, on the deepest level. So then all of your flaws are just external. And all you have to do is now say, you know what? All the things I did wrong were just mistakes. They were just learning opportunities. They were just things I did. They're not things I am. So on Yom Kippur, when we pound our chest and we say, I did this wrong, I did that wrong, I did the other thing wrong, what we're really saying is this is something I did that wasn't true to who I really am. This is something I did that also wasn't true to who I really am. And this is something that I shouldn't have done. When there's one sin that we're repenting for on Yom Kippur, not murder, not adultery, not stealing. The one sin that we repent for on Yom Kippur is that I didn't believe in how great I really am. When you get your beauty, when you get the perfection of your soul, when you connect to your true identity as a soul, then all that stuff that we did is stuff we never could do again. We could never do that. When you really know who you really are, you would never do those things. It's literally just taking off the dirty clothes, the things that took us away from our true identity. Of course we make mistakes. Those mistakes don't define us. And sometimes we do things deliberately 
because we're over-identifying with our insecurity and our imperfection and our brokenness. And when a person feels broken, they do all sorts of broken things. They have unhealthy relationships, unhealthy habits. They get addicted to things that can fill them up and take away from their brokenness, from food, from drugs, from sex, from addictions. And yet, when a person knows that really deep down inside, their brokenness isn't who they are. Who they are is pure and perfect, so they don't need anything to fill them up. Life becomes an opportunity to give and to help others and not the, the necessity to have others help us and make us feel better. So we give in to negative lifestyle, negative behaviors, because we feel negative about ourselves. We feel selfish, jealous, angry, lazy, because that's our body talking. But when we get none of that as us, then it's totally fine to have flaws and make mistakes. And we don't have to let them pull us down. So the, the beauty of Yom Kippur is a day without distractions, no noise, no food, just you, yourself, alone in a room, recognizing that you have infinite potential, infinite power, infinite beauty within yourself. And all you have to do is shift your focus on who you really are. That's what Yom Kippur is all about. So I uh, want to bless us all that we have a moment on Yom Kippur of connection. You know, when you uh, turn off your phone, suddenly you feel very naked. And when you don't have any food or drinks to get, there's nothing to do but face yourself. Right? You ever notice when you go to the fridge and you open it up and you're looking for something and it's not there. And then you come back a few minutes later and you open it up again as if something might have changed in the few minutes that you stepped away. So the reality is, why are we looking in the fridge? Because we're not really hungry. We're empty. And we think that food will fill us up. We think our phone will fill us up. We think our friends on social media will fill us up. We think everything in the world is a distraction to fill us up the emptiness that we feel. The reality is that all we have to do is recognize that we're already full and then we don't need any of those things because on the soul level, we are full and we have so much to give and all we have to do is connect to who we really are. Yom Kippur is one day that gives us a fighting chance the rest of the year to stay connected to soul as our primary driver of the animal, the body, and not let the animal run wild and make decisions for us. So wishing you all a Shana Tova, a beautiful year, a sweet year of connecting to your true self and letting that radiate outward into all your other relationships. Thank you, guys. Questions for a minute before we move on?